You're listening to K&J Recaps. Hey everyone, this is K&J Recaps. You're listening to us recap episode three of HBO's Westworld. I am Jess. I am Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jess. How are you? This is just a, <laughs> I like, I watched this episode twice and the first time was last night when it aired live and it was just a giant what the what moment for me. Like, what <laughs> the what? I was so, yeah, I'm super glad I took the time to watch it again for sure. And even then I'm still kind of, you know, like wandering around my house thinking about, you know, how things tie together. So I'm very excited to discuss the breakdown of this episode. Agreed. Um, so just to listeners, just in case you're new, uh, we will break down the third episode of Westworld scene by scene. It is certainly full of all kinds of spoilers. If you haven't already watched the episode, we suggest it's probably more enjoyable if you do that first. <laughs> um, we also <laughs> have done the first two episodes of Westworld. So if you have gone back and watched them, it might be fun to check those ones out to hear where some of our theories are coming from and that kind of thing. Um, we also have, uh, we did the recap of the Netflix original series, Stranger Things, if you're interested in checking out that one. And certainly, if you'd like to kind of leave us a comment or let us know what you're thinking, you can give us a review or a rating on your podcast store of choice, as well as our Facebook uh, page, which is KJ Recaps, or Twitter, we're KJ Recaps. So we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on our breakdown and just kind of what you think of the series and this episode so far. For sure. And if you guys want to um, send us any feedback directly, or if you have any questions that you want Jess and I to cover off, um, if we don't already in our two hour long podcasts, um, (laughs) talking about the various shows, um, feel free to send them along, either post them to Facebook or send them to our email, kjrecaps at gmail.com. Absolutely. Okay, so maybe without further ado, because there's so much to unpack, we should just dive right in. Get in there. That's right. Um, Okay, so in this first scene, I realized that I might have been mistaken in our last podcast when I said that when that Bernard is having his secret meetings in Westworld with Dolores, because we open on another secret meeting that Bernard is having and Dolores is fully clothed again, which is unusual when, you know, someone from the lab is interviewing a host. Um, So we know that it's not the norm. Um, So we do see a little bit more of the room this time. And I'm not sure if it's in Westworld or in the lab but it's definitely not in like the usual lab area. Um, But last time I said 100% they were still in Westworld, but I guess it's a little more accurate to say that they're just like in a place that's not usual. Um, So he's asking Dolores the same questions as before, you know, like has she told anyone about their conversations, et cetera. And he's brought her a gift. Um, It's the book Alice in Wonderland, and he used to read it to his son. Um, and he like outlines, a you know, a verse for her to like a passage for her to recite. And it all, it has to do with like change. Um, and I, you know, one of the lines is, I wonder if I've changed in the night and then asks if that means anything to her. And she says that like, they've been reading other books together and they're all about change. Um, yes. so it's interesting that, you know, 
I, I, I definitely feel we'll get into it more when we get into the episode, but I feel like our theories about Bernard and Ford are reversed. <laughs> Bernard, <laughs> yeah. Bernard definitely seems to be um, like nurturing, as you suggested just last week. He he might be nurturing these changes somewhat through these like secret meetings. So it looks like that a little bit with this book um, that he's given her. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, she mentions that they've been reading other book, other books rather, that there is a common theme about change. Um, and he says, you know, people read about the things they want most and experience the least. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I agree that, you know, we've, we've seen for a while that he's asked, well, two episodes, he's asked her whether um, she's told anyone about their meetings. And we've known that they've been, you're right, like not obviously out and out okay with you know behind the scenes in Westworld because of all of the reasons that he keeps secret but this is the first I think exposition on them just how kind of secretive and off book they really are and yeah uh, and absolutely they seem to be he's kind of pushing towards that more and more you see it in this scene and of course we see it more throughout the episode yes And then just a quick interesting note that she asks him where his son is now. And he, um, you know, goes into analysis mode to question why she asked that personal question. And then the analysis mode just says, like, we've been talking for some time. And asking a personal question is like what you're supposed to do in this situation or whatever. So it's like he gets to a point where it seems really personal and then he tests whether it really is, you know, whether is that a real question or are you just doing it because of your programming? And in this case, it's a hundred percent because of her programming. She's, you know, she knows that she should ask a personal question. But like, I think that this was sort of put here in this early um, scene to kind of act as a contrast to to what we see in their the later one. So we'll circle back to that when we get to the scene, but a hundred percent in this one, it, you know, she's not um, delivering anything more than what the programming is telling her yeah. to, but we see a difference when they um, meet again later in the yeah, episode. For sure. uh, so from that, we get that same waking up scene with Dolores. Like we often do where she's kind of against her pillow and she's kind of back in her loop which is the language they're using when you just sort of recreating the way that your day is supposed to be her father who's the new father uh is out letting out the cattle and she's in her bedroom when she pulls out her gun that's bundled in the cloth the one that we saw her find um last time and she kind of looks at it is maybe confused but kind of thinks and then we hear while she's looking at herself in the mirror uh do you remember and she has a flashback to the man in black doing that really violent pulling her into the barn and here we get a little bit more of it where he says why don't we reacquaint ourselves start at the beginning he's got a big knife again um and yeah. Yeah, just just like, you know, he starts to approach her with this big light um knife in a very similar way um to how we saw him, you know, approach Maeve in Maeve's flashback last episode. Um That's right. So, I mean, like either way he has a knife, I don't know what his, the purpose is, but it felt very similar. Yeah, and I mean, it, I certainly the first place I went to this time was kind of what you had been saying last time, which is 
did he take the scalp off of everybody? I agree. You know, and I don't know if I'm reading that wrong, but the the use of the knife, the fact that he's taken a scalp off of another host that we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, very clearly, it just felt really related to that. Yeah, it's definitely violent, but in to to, to me, it seemed as if he was. Um, intending to question Dolores with purpose. Um, So rather than it be sort of what we had originally thought, which was this sexual violence that he was, you know, just getting, you know, for thrills, um, it really seemed to me like he had an intention when he um, went in there and that was to question her in some way. And so whether or not he was actually scalping every um, host like we talked about last week, maybe it isn't necessarily a scalping, but maybe he goes through all hosts one by one and questions them all, you know, to, you know, to determine where he needs to go next in this quest of finding the deeper level of the game. And it makes more sense in what we see chronologically with the men in black, like that the if the first episode he's just there to, I mean, they refer later to the Teddy and Dolores' storyline is to be there so that if you want to best the gunslinger in town and you want to have your way with his girl, that's yeah. why their stories are there. And, you know, here's, we see we are introduced to the man in black, basically what looks like doing that. And then suddenly the man in black is, you know, 35 levels deep in the game doing these incredibly complicated things and it didn't seem to fully jive yeah uh right because it's like how did he go from just playing this very basic level of this kind of sadistic love triangle thing like everybody else is doing in the park right that's right yeah yeah and so it does make a a little bit more sense it's still you know completely awful and Mm -hmm. uh yeah but so there's that and then I, I wonder I wonder if there is a certain element of what you had suggested, which was that he's intending to maybe throw off the monitors about what his true intentions are. Because in right. that first episode, he really made remarks like, let's go celebrate or whatever, that would be construed yes. as him, you know, taking Dolores in there to rape her, which would be very similar to what yep. the, you know kind of the status quo is in terms of like what happens in the park right so maybe he was kind of throwing that out there um as you know to throw off the scent of what his true intentions were which was to question her about this like deeper level of the game right yeah um and do you want to talk about the voice that's heard there or do you want to talk about it when we hear it a bit later um, well, we can go into more detail in this scene with Ford, but I I feel strongly. So we know later in the episode, it's revealed that the voice that um, was heard by Wyatt and Peter Abernathy is Ford's prior partner, um, Arnold. Um, yeah. So I think there's probably no question that Dolores's voice is also that of Arnold. What do you think? Agreed. Yeah. And I think it explains a lot of actions of hosts when we're not seeing we're not in their, um, you know, consciousness. We're not in their perspective, the actions that they're taking that seem strange. So to me, the voice would have guided, um, oh my goodness, the card dealer. Kissy. Whose name I can't remember. Thank you. Would have like told Kissy to jump off the cliff. Um, I think it's probably related to the, you know, again, kind of suicide mode of the host that we see later this episode, you know, so you kind of are getting more of a sense of them hearing these voices much Mm -hmm. more regularly than we were kind of initially led to believe. 
And so we can talk about this more in the scene when we come to the full, um, you know, narrative from Ford about what all of, you know, Arnold is and what it means, etc. Yeah. But but um, one of the things that I had said in the last podcast is that it seemed as though this was current communication that was happening in the moment that the hosts yes. were like hearing. I was actually thinking that it was somebody in the lab observing them in that moment, giving them direction. Um, but do you think that that's the case? Because I'm more inclined to think based on the later conversation that we had with Ford that this is just deeply ingrained programming, as you suggested last week. Yeah, that or it's the start of consciousness. You know, that it's um, it's it's what he was trying to do where he's making it think that it's voices in your head. But because the voices are now starting to command them to do things that are more intuitive and um, direction-y based on what they themselves kind of want to do, that it's that first step right. beyond just, you know, the programming voice. But I agree. I don't think I agree. When we had even thought maybe it was Bernard because the voice is kind of masked. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think it is something in their core and whether it's the start of real human kind of ish thought or whether it's just deeply buried programming that's going to start that process and maybe we're not quite there yet. I I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely no longer of the opinion that there is like some, you know, third party in a room somewhere in the lab who's monitoring yes. what's happening and giving direction in real time. Um, yeah. Agreed. Um, so we'll obviously come back to that when we get the full breakdown from Ford um, later in the episode. Sure. Um, so, okay. So before we leave this scene, when Dolores Which looks in that drawer a second time, the gun is gone. Up in the hay pile. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of switchy, yeah. truly accurate storyteller anymore, I think. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, we have to kind of watch what we're seeing her do with a grain of salt, I think, because um, when we see that, especially in the kind of towards the end. Um, so, yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. What, what, what about you? Yeah. Um, So this is my thought. I think that the show is being deliberately confusing in in its storytelling in order to, you know, like not give it all away necessarily. But I think that what it's showing us throughout the episode are flashes of different days that look identical where different things happen. So it's like day one, Dolores finds the gun in a cloth in the drawer and looks at it and puts it back. And day two, that to us looks virtually, well, looks exactly identical and therefore appears to us to be in the very next moment of that same day is in fact day two where she has taken the gun at some point maybe in the middle of the night when Arnold's voice wakes her up has hidden the gun in the hay and later in this episode when we see that happen again where Dolores is shot at the end of the episode by one of the attackers on her parents we see that that is that is day one and she gets shot in the stomach and dies. But then the very next day that appears to us to be the very next moment, she remembers that she gets shot if she doesn't run. And so in that day, 
she avoids it happening because she remembered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I agree, except for I'm not sure it's day one and day two, whether that I don't really think that that matters. Just because she sees her old dad character, which I think is further back yes yeah point. so but yes that this is i was just calling itself, it yeah yeah over and over i was again. calling it day one and day two just to like illustrate but right. i think that she is probably it's many days that have compounded that's right you know the, so she now has these memories that um like you know how in groundhog day when eventually all of these memories um that you know all of the knowledge i should say that bill murray's character like amasses over days and months living the same day over and over Years, eventually yeah. Uh, yeah like eventually it allows him it allows him to live the perfect day yeah um so yes, yeah no, so I, I, uh, so i agree and i think it is it's that and the reason that the hosts can't react to her escaping um, isn't because she has a great escape. It's just they don't expect her to do it at all. And it goes right. against her programming and it's very easy for her to kind of react and get out of there once she realizes what's happening. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So ultimately, I do think that like the day that she has a gun planted in the hay and kills Rebus, her attacker, you mm-hmm. know, one of the milk bandits that's going to rape her at the end. Um, and then she runs away from the man at the, you know, on the porch and whatever. I do think that that all has to be the same day because the moment that she like breaks her loop by taking a gun that wasn't supposed to be there and killing the attacker instead of being attacked as she's supposed to be, then that will alert the, you know, the monitors. Yeah. And goes against her programming. She's not supposed to be able to shoot a gun. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So on the one hand, we are seeing some concurrent events. And then on the other hand, I think that it is you know, days and years of memories that she is regaining that is allowing her to move forward in breaking her loop. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Um, which is so exciting. Well, yeah, and it's a really cool piece because I don't think you get it necessarily as as quickly, you know. It it take it took me a while to get there for sure. And yeah. um but it does make it it makes it tougher to kind of put it together, but it um, makes for a very interesting story for sure. Yes. Um, okay. So then, uh, we're in town with William, who's just walking around observing the townspeople when, um, a man like brings a fugitive into a deputy and, um, the deputy brings him inside the prison or whatever. And then suddenly the fugitive is free. He kills the deputy. He kills the man who brings him in and he takes Clementine hostage. So William is really reluctant. He, you can, you can see him like wanting to pull his gun, but he's really hesitant. Um, like he's obviously kind of coming to terms with the fact that yes. he can actually do this. Like he's fighting his moral um, you know, instincts to not shoot a guy. Yeah. Um, even if it's like, you know, for a good cause. But when the guy takes Clementine hostage, um, he does shoot and kill the fugitive, but not before he takes a shot himself. And I was surprised by like how much, you know, he was like totally thrown back on his ass when yeah. he got shot by by the fugitive. Agreed. It was a bit of misdirection for a second because at first I was like, oh my God, like what, you know, just happened. But I think he was completely not expecting anything. I mean, it's funny that they don't warn you or that his friend didn't warn him or anything, but, um, 
but yeah, it seems to have maybe the force of uh, paintball or something like that, you know, like it. Yeah, I was thinking the same. Yeah. Yeah. So like his, you know, his friend comes out and congratulates him on like popping his cherry and he shows him the welt and says, I thought I thought you said we couldn't get shot. And his buddy says, you know, you can't get killed, but it wouldn't be much fun if they can't shoot back. So it looks as if it causes like you're right, like paintball, like a small amount of pain, but nothing, you know, nothing life threatening or anything. Um, um, yeah, so then, uh, so William decides that he wants to go on an adventure, uh, and he takes, uh, one of the wanted posters off the wall, presumably to go out and hunt a fugitive of his own. And, um, his friend doesn't seem super keen, but, uh, he ends up going with him. Well, I love what William calls him out on here, which is what we talked about in the last episode too, you know, is he's so derisive about the plot lines, but William's like, all you've wanted to do since we got here is drink and fuck. Like, it's so true. It's like yeah. You guys haven't even left the saloon yes. in over a day. And, like, did you did you notice that um, when his friend comes out to, you know, to, like, meet William in the street or whatever, he's, like, fiddling with his fly? Yeah. He's, yeah. And this is the second – this is the second time in two episodes that this guy, like, enters a room while doing up his fly. Like, yeah. he's literally hasn't left the saloon. Agreed. So I can totally understand. I mean, William's there and gave him a taste of, like, the adventure, and he wants to go do more. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we're back in the behind-the-scenes area, and it's Bernard is confronted by Cullen. And even though we've seen that there is a personal relationship there, that doesn't make a difference. She's still – she's all business. She's really kind of worked up. Um, so she's trying to give the story of where we ended last time with Ford taking away the – storyline the board is uneasy and she says that he's carved out a huge part of the park which is for his story and he's throwing existing storylines into disarray um and yeah that kind of you know get this in line and then she also mentions that she knows that bernard's people are still pulling out hosts for analysis while he's telling her that it's resolved if it's resolved then why is this still happening? Um, yeah, like the the um, the update glitch is supposed to be like done and over. So exactly. why are people still pulling out? You know, pulling out hosts. And she's talking about Elsie. I'm con- I'm I'm convinced that there is nobody else on Bernard's team that continues to have issues. It's just Elsie who's doing her own digging. Agreed. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. And the other thing I didn't love here is I just find the board like a really convenient kind of trope here. Like they've, they're invoked so frequently, uh, you know, yeah. the board's not happy with this. The board's not happy with that. I, I mean, I, I get it in some sense, but I also feel like, you know, this is um, this crazy money raking in park that is just completely different than anything that's really been seen. And um, mm-hmm. is it really so hard to believe that you would trust your park director with a new storyline? I don't know. And and just yeah, constantly no, be told the board is breathing down your neck kind of gets a bit. That's fair. Um, although I do kind of think it's a necessary evil because if we don't have, you know, 
something or someone that is bigger than Ford, then ultimately there isn't anything, you know, to stop Ford from just dictating how things will be. Like, I think that Ford needs to have a check and balance, at least from a storytelling perspective. So, you know, like, even if Ford, for all intents and purposes, is the king of Westworld, to know that there is some other governing body that could... Um, you know, that that could reprimand Ford in some way, I think, like, tells us as viewers that, like, although he's playing God, his power isn't absolute. Yeah, you know yeah what I, mean? I guess I just find it a bit tired, but... And you never see them, and there's no character um, yeah. behind it. It's just constantly, like, if... I don't know. I feel like if you had a Very drink every convenient. time the board is mentioned being unhappy in this show, you would have had a lot, so... I wonder if we're gonna actually meet the board in future seasons. Yeah. Like, or members of the board. I think that would be interesting because um, we learned in episode one that management, which I assume means yep. the board, um, they have grander plans for these hosts than just right. the park. So, um, yeah, maybe this, like, no-name board that is conveniently used for all, you know, storyline purposes will actually get some faces, like, later yeah, in the no, series. Yeah, that's a good point. That yeah. would be cool. Um, so Elsie um, is questioning Walter's companion, Rubus. So, of course, you know, Cullen has just said, why are your people pulling out hosts for analysis? And then we go to Elsie, who has done just that. Um, so Rubus, um, he's the, like, milk bandit companion to Walter, who went on the crazy killing spree in a previous episode. And Rubus was apparently the last host to interact with Walter. Um, and Elsie is questioning him and also reviewing video of Walter, who is talking to himself. Um, but of course, we know now that he's not. He was talking to Arnold. Um, and then she also points out that of the nine hosts that were in the saloon or whatever, when Walter went on his killing spree, he only killed six of the nine. And those six were all hosts that had killed Walter in a past mm-hmm. storyline. So it's like he was holding a grudge. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that Elsie, honestly, is kind of one of the most interesting characters, um, especially from the lab side. I mean, like, I love that, you know, she that we have someone who um, is being kind of really straightforward in her intentions and, you know, her suspicions. And I mean, someone in the lab who isn't talking in Shakespeare and riddles is refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, she's definitely a programmer through and through. She's definitely on the side that these things are machines. And that this is strange behavior. And it's very strange that Bernard does not take it seriously. Of course, we know there's behind the scenes to that. But I mean, absolutely. Mm -hmm. She's why would he not be concerned about these things that she is finding? I mean, she's very clever and she is spotting exactly the symptoms um, of these kind of bigger issues that we know are going to come to light. So for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, although we do know that Bernard has this like special relationship with Dolores and he, he, he does seem to sort of view the hosts as more than just machines, etc. Um, but following this, um, you know, 
discussion with Elsie where she raises these concerns. Bernard does go to Ford to raise those questions with him. So it's not as though um, Elsie is telling Bernard something Bernard already knows. She is raising valid concerns that he is then, you know, reacting to. But mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like Bernard is outwardly telling Elsie there's nothing to worry about and don't be so silly while, you know, inwardly he's going like, holy shit, I better talk to Ford about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, his decision to regularly cover for Ford is an interesting one. And it doesn't seem that Ford always needs it. You know, Ford kind of says, yeah, this is what's happening. I mean, even this issue that he's going to bring to him, he's like, yeah, that'll be resolved in this update. Um, And I do think it is. It's I don't know if Bernard is fully put together that what he is doing with Dolores um, and what is happening with the other kind of hosts and the way that it's um, it's kind of the same search and maybe it's going to be gone about very differently from their two different sides but it's not that far off um yeah yeah um, so then Elsie gets an alert um, saying that there's a stray host. So Bernard tells her to go deal with that. And, you know, he'll continue to look into the Walter slash Rebus um, question. Um, so Elsie joins um, Stubbs in the, you know, the elevator up to the park. And Stubbs, of course, who is like, you know, the security guy you know he's like cocking his gun and like getting ready for battle like as he is going up the elevator and she like elsie is like why do you need that and um he says like the only thing that is stopping the hosts from hacking us to pieces is one line of code like i sleep with this thing and it's kind of crazy to me honestly that although elsie is the one who is spotting all of this crazy behavior and all of these anomalies that she would still question you know Stubbs about why he feels a gun is necessary right like yeah she's spotting all of the of the variances and yet remains completely unconcerned that the hosts will you know violate their programming not to hurt a living thing which ford does the same thing you know like he gives a whole lot of speeches about how they don't feel anything they don't know anything we make them forget the end you know um yeah and it's like there's a lot of signs pointing to that not necessarily being the case but right um it is kind of hubristic i mean there's obviously a lot of analogies of playing god here she's incredibly scientific i think she's just Mm -hmm thinks you know mathematically there's no chance of that because we program them this way and yeah yeah. so I think that it's you know pretty clear in this episode at least that like Elsie and Ford seem to take the same stance um which is that you know regardless of whether the hosts start acting the way they're programmed to act you can essentially you know like um you can determine what the glitch is and then fix that glitch and then you're done. Um, like both of them, you know, seem to be on an opposite page than Bernard, who seems to be more in line with Arnold, where he thinks there is the potential that these hosts could gain a level of consciousness. Yeah. So I think that like Elsie is incredibly unconcerned because she's like, I just need to find the glitch, fix the code, and then I'm done. It doesn't even occur to her that like, you know, the hosts could go 
rogue in that way. Well, I also and I think she looks down on Stubbs. I think she thinks he's an idiot and a goon. Um, yeah. You know, who's all pumped up and security guy. And so the fact that he's concerned from a security perspective, I think, gives her even more reason to just kind of be sarcastic with him and make fun of him. Right. It's so crazy that, like, in one episode, everything that we thought from last episode yeah. about Ford and Bernard is, like, turned on its head. <laughs> this show is impossible to predict, though. I mean, I... Oh, 100%. It's such a bitch to recap because while you can say what's happened in this episode in terms of predicting what is going to happen, I mean, part of what makes it so engaging to watch is, you know, that... That's the case. But in terms of making predictions, I feel like I'm just wasting my time. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's never a waste. Why? It's yeah, always well, fun to see whether we're, we're right or yeah. wrong. But like, I feel like we're going to be wrong. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, more than once on this show, then, but that's okay. And we don't, it's not like we understand this world either. You know, I mean, the we've only been exposed to what the show has decided to show us in the first two, now three episodes. And it's not... Mm-hmm. A lot. There's still so much exposition, which is one of the challenges I have with this show. I mean, it just it takes you so long to understand the world and you still don't there's so much you don't understand that you're kind of still going through that part of it. Yeah. Which is a bit tough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Especially because I feel like we're trying to understand it at this like really, you know, detailed level in order to like share all those details, you know, with our listeners and come up with theories and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine today who, you know, is just kind of like sitting and watching and enjoying. And she was like, I never, it never occurred to me to like put some of those pieces together that we were suggesting, um, you know, which was great because she listened to the podcast and like, you know, got some some things out of it like some things to think about and yet at the same time she wasn't like driven crazy by like all of the you know like trying to put every piece together or whatever but like such is the joy of podcasting and like being so detail oriented that you needed to like you know we're both so detail oriented we were like I need to know I need to understand every you know like Every scene, how does this fit in the puzzle? <laughs> but that, and but we have no idea. You know, I still right. feel like this could completely turn on its head, and it. I I don't know if we have fully figured out that Ford is on one side and Bernard's on the other. To be honest, oh I mean, God, no, yeah, of course. you know, Ford is saying these things, but is that really the way he feels? Is he really that stupid that he hasn't realized that his former partner like perhaps left this code in them that they're not seeing? I mean, he just. He's mm-hmm. such an enigmatic guy and character. Um, and there's, there's more. I agree. There's more questions, too. I mean, like, yeah. the the big question that I have about whether, you know, like, this takeaway about Ford um, is, in fact, true is about the, f- the fact that, you know, Arnold's programming essentially makes the hosts um, think that they are hearing the voice of God in some cases, right? And then we have Ford, who's introducing a new storyline where the villain is Wyatt, who thinks he can hear the voice of God. You know, so there is more to it. Like, you're right. We've barely scratched the surface. I mean, like, at face value, Ford seems as if, like, he's saying at this point, nope, the hosts are robots. They can't feel anything. We're not programming them to feel whatever. But there's, like, layers that we haven't even, you know, gotten to yet, which is, like, if that is the way that Ford feels, if he is not 
you know, like in agreement with Arnold, like why does he have a character in his new storyline that essentially, um, I don't know. To well, me, yeah, and why even have the storyline? Why has it come out now? Why have you never cared to participate in storylines for years and years and years and suddenly you're interested? I mean, there's definitely a lot more to it than um, than it seems. Or, it, yeah. or at least a lot more than we can unpack right now. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. We have so lots more to, to learn like, on Westworld. I never thought of that. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have thought of it and you haven't. <laughs> it could be that we are <laughs> it's completely... Like... And utterly off base, which is probably what it is, but... It could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we're back into the... In the town, in Westworld, um, and Teddy is with a woman who is a guest, and they're confronting a guy. We find out that Teddy is a bounty hunter, um, and so he's roughed up some hookers, and so she he's taking that guy down. So there's a gun battle, and Teddy and the woman kill them all, and they lock the body outside of Maeve's saloon and go in, uh, which there's a kind of funny interlude there between Maeve. And then all of a sudden, as she's interacting with Teddy, she gets a flashback to where the last episode where she's in that like chop shop meat area locker of all of the host bodies. And she saw Teddy up close. So she just she doesn't say anything and she doesn't have an overly obvious reaction but she is clearly having those memory flashbacks too and that is not gone uh, and yeah. of course we know that the guys who think they screwed up by not putting her to sleep basically covered it under the rug which is another thing that's happening a lot right I mean I think it's I actually really respect that Cullen said to um, Bernard she said if there's something happening tell me but yeah. she's also a very intimidating character to him too and I think everybody is so busy also trying to protect what's going on that that's going to lead to a bit of a disaster as well organizationally like um, yeah I think that I think that you're right like ultimately you know so everyone is discovering these you know like seemingly um one-off issues or glitches or whatever and no one is you know essentially like rolling those up so that someone can get a complete picture of all of the things that are happening and recognize that things are kind of in a clusterfuck like so those guys probably had no idea that there was that you know update glitch that Elsie is looking into and therefore didn't deem it necessary um you know to raise an issue that might have gotten them in trouble they just thought that it was like oh i forgot to put her in sleep mode so exactly that it was i just won't do it next time she's woken up exactly yeah. and instead we're going to see that exact issue come back again right and uh and it's going to be a problem later on in yeah. this episode so yeah yeah, absolutely. Okay, do you know what's crazy? Is <laughs> like I until this very moment when you told me, I did not know that that woman was a guest <laughs> that was with Jenny. Well, I mean, it's no cuz it's not explicit except for that Clementine takes her upstairs, which yes, the hookers do sleep with the others, but I get the sense because she just says to Teddy, will you wait for me? And he doesn't react that that's part of it. And then later on when the shootout happens, it's another guest who says, "Do you want to go back?" And she says, "No, I'm staying." And I, I really think that she's a guest participating. And she's yeah, like scared I mean, shitless. Yeah. Now that you're saying that, 
it does make sense to me because it was like I was it was a you know so ultimately in this episode I think we get some filling in the blanks of what the loop would look like if it were sort of uninterrupted right Um, so what I thought was happening initially was that okay on an uninterrupted loop that at some point between Teddy getting off the train and Teddy meeting up with Dolores he meets up with some kind of female bounty hunter partner um but yeah now that you have um, suggested that she's a guest that makes much more sense to me than you know the fact that yeah and i really Uh, like her as a guest like she's kind of there for what i think the better side of the park is like i mean she still goes and has fun but i i don't know she just she seems kind of badass and she's like there to live her own adventure and right just seems less douchey than so many of the guys who are in the park. Or <laughs> Absolutely. Or, yeah. Yeah, I liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, that <laughs> that was like a moment where I'm like thinking so deeply about all of the things that, you know, this could mean and that could mean that I t- like it did not even occur to me that that, <laughs> that was a guest in the park. Um. <laughs> Okay, so now we're seeing Teddy and Dolores um, and what happens if they continue on that loop if no one happens to stop them. And so they um, are out together and they're kind of talking about what mm-hmm. the future might have in store for them. But I, I did have the question about whether or not you felt that Dolores's insistence that they leave now and that when he said, um, you know, um, you know, I'll yes, take no, you away someday or whatever. Was that scripted or was that? No, no. I, I feel like that's where it diverges. So sorry. So yeah, moving forward, they end up kind of off in the like hills somewhere. I mean, it's just the scenery just as a side note of this show is just unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah. Like the the scenes that go over all of the rocks and the vistas in the background are kind of unbelievable um but they're in a field and i think what is the loop is the you know will we go away someday or um i feel like the world outside is calling me there's a place down south where the water meets the mountains that kind of thing and then dolores calls him on the someday and that she wants to go now and i agree with you i think that that is a divergence from the script um, and that that's not the typical thing. And there's kind of references to this later, right? Because Ford asks Teddy, have you never really wanted to go away with her? Yeah. You know, he kind of, you know, digs into it a little bit. And there's kind of references to them improvising. Um, but, of course, he has a response, which we now know is his, like, unspecific backstory that he has something he needs to make right before they can be together and then that goes then brings them back into the loop and of course they go back to her house and the gunshots etc etc so i mean yeah he has enough to bring her back into it yeah i i i totally agree i felt like this was kind of a little snippet of dolores breaking the loop ever so slightly to test the waters and then when teddy essentially doesn't follow her down that path when he continues when with his scripted lines she kind of circles back into it and you know gets back in the into the loop um so we see this amazing shot next of a host eye being made like wow 
it, this was incredible. And, and um, you know, you tweeted this yesterday, um, Jess, which was so true, which is just like every shot of the hosts being made is just spectacular. And it's, it's yeah. especially like I love the way that they imagined it, which is like, I don't know, it's like a machine arm that is delivering like a single fiber at a time. And, yes. you know, like um, creating this um you know host this like being from the inside out one layer at a time one like one tiny little strand at a time and yeah. so we see that with this eye being made which was really um spectacular and then the um the eye that's being made kind of you know transitions to to be Teddy's eye who's like sitting in the lab talking to Ford and so this is where Ford is talking about the fact that Teddy doesn't really have a backstory. He just has this like nameless guilt that he'll never atone for. And this is when he says too, like Teddy isn't there to protect Dolores. He's just there so that, you know, guests can have their way with the gun gunslingers girl or whatever. Um, And then he asks Teddy whether he wants to be a part of his new storyline. And we hear about like Wyatt, um, who is the villain of the storyline, and he uploads the narrative to um, to Teddy right then and there. And now, obviously, uh, you know, Teddy immediately remembers Wyatt. He has this whole backstory. Um, so he says that, like, Wyatt was a sergeant who went missing and then came back with strange ideas and thought he could hear the voice of God, which I thought, you know, like, couldn't be coincidence with, you know, with the, the Arnold consciousness, you know, being a program that um, makes the hosts think they hear the voice of God. So I don't know how that connects yet, but I definitely feel there's a connection there. Yeah, I like my rough first thought is that it's based on Ford's own backstory somehow. And I don't know how, but that this is kind of roughly what happened to Arnold or something that he comes back with strange ideas that he maybe didn't always have but Hmm. I am really just kind of I don't know pulling that out but interesting I agree that it's got to be related yeah yeah um so we're back in uh town again so Dolores is kind of walking through town when she's accosted by Rebus and he's got a guest and I think this yeah pretty obvious that this like cowardly looking guy is the guest and you know Rebus is the kind of instigator here looking for Dolores to take them all for a hayride and Teddy steps in and the guest basically says like instead of getting into a gunfight which he is guaranteed to win yeah (laughs) Um, he just wants something easy, so they move on. And I mean, the guy is obviously set up to be the kind of cowardly douchebag that comes to visit Westworld so frequently. Right. The um, only reason, like, so in my notes, I like I had him written as he's a guest, you know, the whole way through, and then I went back and put a question mark only because um, these are the same guys who are with, you know, like this guest and others are with these like milk bandit guys. Yeah. At the end of the episode, with you know the Dolores 
storyline loop where they kill her parents or whatever. So we have yeah. already seen that in this loop, it's only Wyatt and Rebus who are there, you know, until the man in black shows up, whatever, but you know, he's not a host. So if the storyline is just working its narrative uninterrupted, then it should only be Wyatt and um, Rebus. But at the end, but- there was this guy who's a guest. So obviously he yeah. can throw um, a wrench in that. But there's another guy and the guy um, who it's the guy who shoots Dolores in the stomach and then yeah. and then misses Dolores when he shoots again. So I put a question mark only because if he is a guest and therefore this other guy, the shooter, is also a guest then the fact that he has two identical nights or, you know, like there there are two times that he lived this identically with Dolores would then make me think that my theory is wrong, you know? Yeah, so I thought the guy who shot Dolores was a host. Okay. Um, But I agree that the, like, scared nervous blonde guy is a guest and she doesn't interact with him the same way he, they just kind of share a look mm-hmm. so i was wondering if that means that they need to have been there together but i also think there have been updates happening and changes to storylines that we haven't been privy to one of them that's come true up. yeah yes like maybe things were adapted a little bit especially now that only certain ones can handle guns um like does that make a difference I don't know. Right. Um, okay. So like, okay, then like douchey blonde haired guy, definitely a guest. The other guy who shoots at Dolores, probably a host, which means that our theory about, you know, like it being Groundhog Day where she gets shot one yeah. day, but avoids it the next still holds true. And that the fact that an additional host is there might just be the result of like a change in the storyline that we haven't been privy to. Or maybe there's just like a third host that we didn't see the first time we you know we ran through true yeah Yeah. okay cool and i assume this cowardly guy associates himself with these like you know bully kind of burglars and that's like his power play that he wants to be there for and they take him along when they go after the farmer's daughter kind of thing gotcha Um, okay that that makes sense to me for sure yeah um so this time after teddy has defended her he again is connected with dolores and they're on their own again so they go out to the country to practice shooting And so he tells her how to stand and hold the gun, but she's unable to pull the trigger despite her best efforts. And she seems confused. Like she is trying to um, shoot it and she can't. So what did you think about this part? Um, Yeah, like at first, I don't think it really registered to me what was happening. But um, you're right. You caught on right away and um, tweeted like, it appears as if some of the hosts cannot, you know, shoot a weapon or, you know, use a weapon. Um, and we did. We saw Dolores use a gun on the man in black in episode one. So this has to have that's been. That's why I was so confused. Yeah, yeah. It has to have been an update that's that, taken place since then. Exactly. And we do get that said later on, which is a better exposition because Elsie's going to tell us. But um, 
yeah, I was just so confused. And of course, Teddy doesn't react in that way that we see the hosts not react to something weird because they're programmed not to think it's weird. You know, he's like, oh, some people are just not meant to hold a gun or shoot a gun. That's right. It's like you, you can't not physically be able to shoot a gun. That's ridiculous. Um, but it's certainly I mean, it's going to set up the fact that she's able to use a gun again by the end of the episode in a big way. So I think that's kind of neat. And I also think it's. You know, it's showing that those security guys are taking extra precautions. The programmers don't necessarily agree with it. And yet it's not even going to, other than it's really going to highlight that Dolores has gone off her loop. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that she's able to shoot a gun. Yeah. So essentially, I mean, like what that tells us later in the episode when she is able to shoot a gun. So like the fact that she's not supposed to be able to and yet does it anyway, essentially tells us that like this Arnold programming that she has is not only able to like you know tell her what to do but it's actually able to override more current programming um, which you know like is essentially telling um, because if in the future Elsie and Cullen and others discover the extent to which things have gone off the rails and then try to um, correct it through updates and programming this is telling us that that's not going to work because the Arnold programming is able to preempt it or at least, you know, potentially. And I al- I also yeah. think that that is why, you know, the sleep mode isn't working. Because the sleep yes. mode is current programming that is being preempted by this Arnold programming that's telling them to wake up. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. <gasps> it's going to be a problem. It, it is, is going to be a problem. <laughs> it's not going to be good. <laughs> um, so they, that just kind of ends with uh, riders coming up, the sheriff guy. Um, and they are now launching into Teddy's backstory that is brand new to him, but seems just incredibly seamless. You can see how well the stories have always kind of interwoven, even when they do these updates, right? Because they say there's they've got another bounty, and this time they think they know that Teddy knows who it is and that it's Wyatt. Um, they have him taking out a community, including women and children. And uh, so Dolores has never heard this name before, but Teddy kind of gives her a bit of the backstory, and he you know so leaves and she's looking for a promise that he'll come back it it seems clear to me though that although although teddy has been updated with this backstory dolores has not been updated with these shared memories or you know or or whatever um you know so she seems confused by this whole interaction where you know teddy is leaving now potentially because in the original loop which she seems to still be living but he has moved on to a new one he's not supposed to leave in this moment um so you're right it appears totally seamless until you know i think one of the very next scenes which is dolores is continuing to live out her loop as she's supposed to with teddy but teddy's not there yes i guess i just didn't think that like it didn't stand out to me as a gap in the programming other th- yeah yeah no I guess I'm I'm not I'm not expecting her to like know the name Wyatt yeah. I guess I would have expected if like Ford recovering all of her bases like I think that this is an example of Cullen saying that Ford is throwing other storylines out of whack because yeah, I no, think that point. what they failed to do or what Ford failed to do with Dolores is to update her to you know no longer 
tell Teddy the steer shouldn't be out wandering at night when Teddy isn't there to hear her response. You know, like they didn't update her storyline to now not have Teddy in it. Um, But you're right. I mean, like until we saw that scene, which is, you know, just a little bit later in the episode, you wouldn't have um, known that anything was amiss here because it did tie together seamlessly. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have Elsie and Stubbs approaching a bunch of hosts who are just sitting around a campfire arguing about who's going to light it. Um, so apparently these hosts have been caught in a loop where they're unable to proceed forward because the, like, stray host that Stubbs and Elsie are tracking is actually the woodcutter. Um, so without him, they cannot cook their dinner and until they make dinner they don't move on to the next part of their storyline so they've just been sitting there for days talking (laughs) about yeah talking about who's gonna make the um the fire so this is where we find out we get more information about um the fact that a new update has prevented some hosts from being able to use and touch weapons so Mm -hmm. none of these hosts are able to even pick up the axe um to cut wood in the absence of the woodcutter um and then they go they go into the woodcutter's like hut and they find these carvings including this like weird symbols carving which turns out to be a constellation yeah which like Stubbs is smarter than Elsie gives him credit for because he really kind of uncovers most of this really like right he's like he's the one who kind of says the carving oh these look hideous and he throws it at her and that kind of prompts her to realize that they're not just wood carvings they're wood carvings that have like these messages carved into them that turns out to be yeah the constellation orion but did you think that they were all carvings that had some kind of message i i get the feeling that like elsie was comparing this one's to other this one to others and recognizing so there's a bear there that also has it on it oh bear with it on its back i i saw her comparing it to the bear and i thought that it was intended to show us the viewer that like he has gone from just carving all of this beautiful woodwork that is very innocuous to very recently like you know having this abrupt change but not the case well and maybe they don't i don't think they all do but i i feel like especially i noticed it on the second viewing that their bear has the same constellation carved into the back of it i could definitely be wrong but yeah um and i thought that was kind of like a showing that it's you know a repetitive thing like in right. close encounters of the third kind you know where it just keeps making the, like the volcano that. or mountain yeah, exactly yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know it's like it means something and they can't figure it out so he's like carving it out in all of the things he's doing right yeah, okay, could could be for sure. Um so uh um Elsie pockets the like symbol carving. Um and then before they go, they just have this quick exchange that's interesting about the backstory. Um where Elsie tells Stubbs like Stubbs is kind of like mocking the backstory or whatever and Elsie is like that's the cornerstone of the host. That's what yes. grounds them and their entire like personality is sort of like layered upon that. So it's just kind of a throwaway in this scene, but I'm sure that that is going to become more and more relevant, you know, in the future. Like, I think that's something that we'll circle back to at some point also. 
Yeah, agreed. And Stubbs is so derogatory about the backstory too. You know, he's like, he references himself and maybe it's in my backstory. Um, you know, so she, I find, is really defensive about it too and explaining kind of why it has value. Um, so t- Teddy is out trying to find Wyatt. So they give us a couple of kind of things that they know about Wyatt. So that is men, I mean, there's one point, um, they say that the men wear the bones and flesh of their enemies and Teddy says that it's, they're wearing masks, but don't slow down for these, like these men, if you see them, shoot them because they don't fear death. Um, and Wyatt has them so twisted that they do anything basically as followers uh, Teddy gives his backstory as he knows it now, which is that before he was a bounty hunter, he was a soldier and that they were, why it was his friend uh, as well as his sergeant until everything changed after he went missing, came back with the strange ideas. We kind of already got some of that in his conversation with Ford. Um, but he says here that Wyatt claims that the land, it didn't belong to the natives or the new settlers. It belonged to something yet to come. Um, and it belonged to him. So, I thought that, like, something yet to come, this is kind of what made me think that it's a reference to Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, that, like, the next future yeah. is, like, humanoid. Yeah. I agree. Like, I feel when he said it belonged to him, I thought that was a him with a capital H. Okay. You, you know? Like a god of some kind? Yeah. So, like, this is a guy who can, you know, who thinks he can hear the voice of God. And then he says it doesn't belong to the natives right. or the new settlers. I think he's saying it doesn't belong to any of us here. It belongs to something yet to come. It belongs to him. So, at first, like, at first hearing, I think that you could hear it as, like, Wyatt thinks the land belongs to him. Yeah. Like, Wyatt. But... I th- I think that it's like, you know, he thinks it belongs to this like, you know, supreme being or whatever. You, you know what I mean? Which then makes me think this which then makes me think that like, okay. So if this is Ford's storyline and Ford is essentially like creating this character who thinks the land belongs to this like god like character i mean i don't know i could be so far off but like is he paving the way for him to like be worshipped as a god amongst the hosts do you know what i mean yeah well i mean it's not a crazy idea i don't think i mean who knows but he's already talked about when you play god you have to be I mean, he's even referenced it when he talks right, right? um so it certainly has come up like that theme and that idea so it can't be, it's not that crazy for sure. I thought the him referenced, like, it belonged to him, it belonged to Wyatt um, rather than that. But, yeah. So that's, that's we will see in the future, I'm sure. Um, so the other thing is that, so they come across these bodies that are really horrifically strung up. And, um, yeah, they kind of dismount and the female guest is kind of like, super grossed out but she goes in closer and then it coughs which is a huge uh you know jump (laughs) oh they're gross Um, these bodies uh and then this is actually really funny so um just as like a note kim always does up notes for us both to use so that 
we have them the same and then I take my own notes as well and so I have them both open here and we both have the word dinosaur question mark <laughs> that's <laughs> right amazing. here like, what are we hearing in the background oh my god like what is that <laughs> yeah like total homage to you know like Michael Crichton I don't know. I mean, obviously, like we know because we heard it a couple of times in this same context that we know that it is sort of like, you know, must be some kind of like battle call or whatever for Wyatt and his men. Because both time that we hear it, they like attack right after. Yeah. But like it literally sounds like a pterodactyl. Yeah, like or like a, well, as we imagine, or like an elephant or something, or like <laughs> in Lord of the Rings when the elephants go by. I don't know. It's just like it sounds so fantastical. It's yes. this crazy, and it's the last thing you kind of expect to hear there. It was very, uh, yeah, very weird. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So they I, come out um, and head. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I think that it's interesting that. Um, that Ford, who basically took a steaming shit on um, Sizemore's um, storyline, story, story which was like, you know, self-cannibalism and, yeah. you know, like all of this horror stuff. And, and Ford was like, no, I don't think so. And he talks about how, like, he is, you know, creating this you know, nuanced storyline or whatever. And what we've seen thus far, at least, is like incredibly gory and horror. And I don't know, it's like, I know that we're going to see more layers to this story. Um, But it's just interesting that what we have seen so far, I feel could have been ripped out of the pages of a size more storyline. Interesting. I mean, you know, I think, like, to me, the reasoning was that the guests are not there to find out what they already are, but rather than what they can become. Um, I think that maybe it gets more to what the ultimate, like, outcome of the story is. Uh, yeah. You know, like, in Sizemore's story, it's just complete and total debauchery. And even if the elements are same to get there, in the Ford story, um, it's much more about where you're going to ultimately go with those elements. You're going to find out about who you are in the end, and you're not just going to end up getting the gunslinger's girl and, you know, right. that's the whole point of the story. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, but so far, Ford has created a terrifying very, story. Um, well, and the guests, this is the first yeah. time I find you've seen the guests be like super freaked out. So, I mean, the girl who's with Teddy is rightly, you know, super scared when one of what looks like a dead body coughs <laughs> on her. Um, and then there's another guest that you haven't really spent any time with who is like, <laughs> at one point he's like, we should have taken the riverboat cruise. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> that's a tough lesson to learn um that's right yeah so the host one of the hosts offers to take him back and the girl is like no i'm gonna stay the sheriff says he's sworn an oath and so they're gonna continue on their way to confront wyatt um so we just have a really quick scene back with Stubbs and elsie who are sort of um closing in on the the rogue host and this is where Stubbs points out that the carving that elsie has been staring at is actually the constellation orion um not really much else in this quick yeah. scene and then um 
then we're back at the lab with Bernard, um, who's asking to speak with Ford. And Ford is working on some hosts, or well, he's working on one in particular. And he says that it's a challenging job weaving the old into the new. I just, I mean, maybe that is nothing, but I was like, what the hell is he talking yeah. about? Yeah. Maybe like the old storylines into the new. Oh, maybe. Which he's not doing a great job of? Like, I was like... like, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I thought that, like, I don't know. Maybe he was, like, creating new characters for the hosts that he was working on in that moment. I don't know. Okay, so just double-checking that there wasn't, like, something that I missed there. Because I was like, what? Um, And then, so this is interesting. This is... We might have talked about this already um, previously when we were talking about, like, how we think you know, Ford might not actually be really, um, you know, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, what's the opposite of disillusioned? Yeah, like in overly utopic or... Enchanted, you know, like by the hosts and like, you know what I mean? Like, um, so maybe he's not after all. Um, So like, there's another lab tech in the room with him who is working on a host. And of course, they're always naked. um, But this lab tech has covered um, the host with a cloth and Ford is like indignant he like rips it off the host and he's he's like you know the host doesn't get cold it doesn't get ashamed it does not feel anything except exactly what we've told it to and like to illustrate his point as he's saying this he takes a scalpel and cuts the host's face of course you know with no reaction from the host yeah so I find this hard to reconcile yeah um because I find, you know, Ford is, he he talks in the next scene about, you know, Arnold only wanting to spend time talking to hosts. And I, that's not the case, of course, necessarily with Ford. But we've also seen Ford down in the basement having conversations with old hosts that he created. He references the fact that he is kind of the god and you have to play the devil and the connection to these people. And then to be so callous... Um, I don't know. And then, you know, it doesn't get cold. It doesn't feel ashamed. It doesn't feel a solitary thing that we haven't told it to. But, like, it, they are feeling things that they're not supposed to. Um, and, you know, Ber- Bernard know. points that out, right? Like, in the later in the yeah. conversation in the next scene where he's like, well, they, like, they're remembering things or whatever. But Ford is just very, you know, dismissive of it of it all right it'll be fixed in the next update and actually like after um seeing this callousness that we're seeing from ford it made me revisit some of the previous scenes that you know from the first two episodes with ford that i read in a completely different way now um you know so um I don't know, like when Bernard, when Bill is, um, sorry, when Ford is talking to Bill in the basement and Bernard like compliments him on how far they've come or whatever. And he says, you know, that's a word for it. I don't know. It's just like, I'm, I'm reading like a level of like disdain for the, for, for it that I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily see before or read a little bit differently. Um, yeah. That could be me looking to, I, you know, validate my own theories, but I don't know. I just like I'm not 100 percent convinced it's not covering up for the completely opposite feeling, fair, or that there is something else behind it. But I, um, 
I just don't get how he's reconciling all of these different pieces together. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. So then Bernard asks to speak to Ford alone and uh, they go down to what I assume is Ford's like office. And it says um, he's the park director. Oh, right. Of course. T- title you actually get there or director of the park or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his yeah. office is crazy. Like what an interesting set. I mean, it's full of body parts. From obviously like different iterations of hosts. He has a host in the corner who plays yeah. piano if he wants it to. Like it's just, uh, yeah, it's like a worker's shop almost. It's like a mad scientist. Yeah, agreed. Like, yeah. like it's kind of like you know, a dollhouse, doll maker's place or something, you know? Like it's all these like pieces sitting everywhere. But of course they're so human-like that it becomes this very crazy looking thing. Uh, so yeah, we get this incredibly massively complicated expose scene that will probably take us the next hour to like unpack. <laughs> we <laughs> like, don't have an hour. So Jess. much pausing and like being like, what? Um, so why don't I? I can take a first stab, and then you can kind of jump in if I'm missing something here. But so we've kind of talked sure. about some of this, and so Bernard launches in by saying. That, you know, they're still seeing effects of things. And he wonders if what they treated with the reveries was the symptom and not the overall disease. So they're not just having memories, but they're talking to someone and they're having conversations with themselves. And it turns out they're talking to someone named Arnold. And Bernard says to Ford, I don't think you told me the whole truth. Um, and it is kind of crazy. I mean, we don't know how long Bernard and Ford have been working together, but Bernard has never heard this story before um and so we see flashes from the past he's talking about how he and arnold there was three glorious years in the park before it opened where there was no guests no anything all they did was work on refining the hosts and that over time their business partners and he let them they just kind of erased arnold from the story so we see yeah i don't feel like it's entirely clear the reasons why arnold was really was erased yeah um except i mean like i can infer based on the story itself that right. like you know arnold you know went rogue went or crazy. yeah um yeah went crazy he died and they described him from the record but in true ford fashion like he just speaks in riddles when he says you know when the legend becomes fact you print the legend and then goes on to say so obviously like we scrubbed arnold from the records and i was like is that supposed to be an explanation of the reason why you scrubbed arnold like True, i don't but know I do ford. think that's like I mean, that is kind of what history is like, right? I mean, the same as history is written by the winners. Um, You know, like history is not a fact at all. It is all interpretive based on what we know. And in this case, Arnold kind of goes rogue and he gets erased from the past and he doesn't even have a name involved in the park anymore, despite having been one of the original creators. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So like, you know, we are simply like left to infer that... um, Whatever Arnold was up to and the circumstances under which he died were contentious and something that the board, you know, the mystery board, didn't want to be linked to the park. So they just scrubbed him from all records. Yeah, it does seem like something happened there. And even if the board doesn't necessarily know or the business partners or whomever, you know, what the 
I don't know how far they knew he was going, but the fact that Bernard doesn't even know that there was that accidental death in the park, I think, shows how much they've erased it, for sure. Um, well, like I did it. wonder, like, I wish that I had had an opportunity to go back to season one, I'm sorry, episode one, to see if I could pinpoint this. Because remember how yeah, I was the, saying, like, years? originally I thought it was 40 years yeah. Uh, old that the park was but they kept referencing 30 years so I'm second guessing myself but I you know I did wonder like if um what what did they call it when there was like a fatal um error or whatever right yeah it's like yeah that. it's like it's I'd... been 30 years since we've had a yeah fatal error which i had heard as we've never had one and yeah you were saying there was one 10 years in although if they were gonna cover up you know a death in the park covering it up by essentially like taking responsibility for the death probably doesn't make sense um so Let's just stick with our 30-year timeline. I feel like that's probably the more accurate one. Okay, like, on a quick side note, too, when Ford showed Bernard the picture of himself as a young man with his partner, like, I paused and stared at that picture, like, trying to place if it was anyone that we've met before. I mean... Yeah, and? And no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I... It's funny, though, because you get a shot, a, an actual action shot of a young Anthony Hopkins. Which was done obviously just superbly. Like a CGI masterpiece. It was I mean, How so they do that, I don't good. even. I know. I know. That one they did of Robert Downey Jr. in the um, Captain America one, too, the Civil War. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they can. I didn't see Civil like War. That, but... <laughs> Oh, they do a great scene of that. It's great. Like, he looks like he's from the 80s. Wow. Um, like, he's just the kid version of Robert Downey Jr. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah, but it's that, whatever technology they're using there, it's that. Yeah, so, I mean, like, um, I won't lie, when he originally said, um, you know, my partner, before we knew this whole, you know, like, narrative that he's sharing, my mind automatically went to the man in black. Like, I... Right. I I realize now that it doesn't make sense, but like I was waiting for that reveal. Um Yeah, it to be that guy we know. Yes, although, you know, now obviously I have other theories about the fact that the man in black is pursuing levels of the game that Arnold has buried in it. Um before his death for sure. So definitely still a link to the man in black and you're right, like the the age, you know, sort of makes sense. So maybe the man in black is in some way related to Arnold. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, he goes on to describe that um, the hosts were passing the Turing test within the first year. But for Arnold, that wasn't enough. He was always trying to create real consciousness. And so he talks about how Arnold imagined it as a pyramid with memory at the bottom and then improvisation and then self-interest. And then Bernard says, well, what was at the top? And they never got there. Um, So that's kind of the parts that they think would lead to the consciousness. And then they talk about this bicameral mind, which is 
that the primitive man, there was an initial theory, and I did not look any of this up, so I'm literally relying on Bernard's and Ford's explanation of this, but that um, primitive man thought that his own thoughts were the voice of God. That's been disproven, but there is not... What's not been disproven is that you could use that on artificial intelligence. Um, right. And basically a way to bootstrap your own... Co- bootstrap consciousness. So, like, self-create it within the artificial intelligence. Um, Yeah. So I did look this up very, very high level. And it is, in fact, a real, you know, a real theory. Yeah. And really, in a nutshell, essentially, that um, is that the theory is that your mind is split into two and you have one side of your mind that is essentially like the voice in your head, your thoughts, and then you have another side of your mind that is the part that is listening and taking action, right? So like, yeah, in, in the same way, um, ultimately, like cavemen thought they were talking to God. It was just like you have two sides of your brain. Right. Uh, yeah, and that's how before you have, you know, significant consciousness or intelligence that you could handle it. Um, and so we've kind of talked about the implications of that already. But um, but yeah, so then kind of Ford gets into what Arnold was not thinking of. So he, Ford mentions that Arnold had not considered the consciousness is the last thing that you would want in this kind of environment. Right. Which is a very uh, valid point. And he also um, mentions like later in the same, you know, in this same scene, he also mentions that he doesn't think that um, Arnold was at all aware of what this park would become, you know, like. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, that Arnold seemed to have this, you know, really, um, you know, beautiful vision of what these creations could be. And, uh, and it wasn't to be like, every yeah, raped and pillaged and <laughs> yeah shot. every horrible fantasy yeah. come alive exactly um yeah and then the other part was that you know the people who are hearing the voice of god in their head and bernard interjects here and says they're thought to be crazy um and what hearing voices in your head is associated with in kind of our society and um so those are kind of the two pieces along the line of what Arnold was trying to do that Ford at least feels were not kind of fully considered. Right. Um, so he does say that the last vestiges are the voice commands, which I think is super interesting For sure. um, and significant here, which is, I think, how we're seeing things like these pieces of poem that are being transferred around um, and that they're able to use these voice commands on each other. Mm-hmm. They're able to now wake themselves up, mm-hmm. um, you know, that and I had kind of commented earlier that I thought the voice commands were a really strange human choice for these robots, and um, it comes from the creator who thought that they could become human. I think that that's obviously not um, a coincidence. Agreed. In any way. Yeah. And um, it also tells us that and, I mean, like, it's not even unintentional that there's still some of Arnold's programming in the hosts, right? Like, yeah, they they intentionally left it there or at least you know parts of it that would allow them to have these voice commands so it's like it's not even um it's not even necessarily a mistake that this programming continues to be in all of them well this is like this is part of i mean that's you're so right and it gets at kind of what i'm talking about like did ford think arnold was such an idiot that this idea could never be like achieved and that it was completely pie in the sky and he got lost in himself and maybe he does you know maybe it is just that Mm -hmm. Um, and in which case did he, 
but he never questioned that some of those codes that have been left. I just don't believe he's that stupid that he doesn't see that there could be that code left in them behind the scenes, you know, um, and that the, if this does exist, that you wouldn't notice your own partner, your co-creator of this technology, that you wouldn't see that buried deeply, you know? Yeah. I think you're right. I anyway. mean, yeah, there's a lot more buried there. I just there. find it hard to believe, yeah, that Ford can't see some of this stuff. But um, he's certainly adamant with Bernard there. And not only that, but he basically, we said that he said that um, he dismisses it, that the update will prevent it from happening. And then he, um, he, takes time to remind Bernard at the end of this that the hosts aren't real. And not only that, but when Bernard says, well, why wouldn't I, you know, ever make Arnold's mistake, he references Bernard's son, Charlie, which is incredibly prescient and to the point. And again, makes me think that he recognizes something that's going on already. Yeah, I definitely think that this was an indication that Ford knows about Bernard's me- knows about Bernard's meetings with Dolores. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it also, you know, gave us some insight. This comment, coupled with the book that Bernard gave her at the beginning, coupled with yes. the comments that Bernard makes in the last scene that we haven't gotten to yet. That's right. Um, it really shows us one of the, the biggest reasons why Bernard is so, um, you know, fascinated by Dolores and also, uh, you know, in enchanted by the idea of her is like i think that he see he's seeing himself as a parent of some yes. kind and also he is using her as an outlet to you know like remember his son um so the fact that bernard raises that in this conversation i don't think is a coincidence i think that that is pointed um because he knows that those meetings are happening and he knows the discussions that are taking place there. I agree. So then I, it, yeah, it does make me think too, whether Bernard is observing this, you know, with a handheld device or something, or whether Bernard is able to get the information from Dolores and yet program her to respond to Bernard's questions um, in the way that he, you know, expects her to, which is that no, she hasn't shared this information with anyone or whatever. Yeah. Like she hasn't. Um, or you think she has? Yeah, no. So like, so Bernard is asking Dolores, have you had any, have you told anyone about our conversations? Yeah. And she replies, no. But what I'm suggesting is that potentially Ford is getting the information from Dolores, but he is able to, um, you know, block her from being truthful with Bernard you know, when he asks that question. Yes. Right. Or maybe he just like recognizes character so well that he knows that this is going to be a risk and like something that he's susceptible to, too, you know, like, mm-hmm. would you really be able to smuggle Dolores out of the park without anyone noticing if Ford has this suspicion? Like, even if he hasn't seen what they're actually talking about, the fact that Ford is taking her out without anyone recognizing it and without her being checked out, I think would be enough to raise your suspicions too, you know? Yeah, Bernard, you mean. 
Bernard yeah, is sorry. taking her. Yes. Yeah, which is why I thought that originally they were meeting in Westworld. And I'm still not convinced that they're not. Um, so I really feel like that's the lab, though. No? Well, if it like is the lights. lab, it's you're right. If it is the lab, it's definitely some kind of like basement, dirty area. It's not like this clean, pristine, you know, room that they normally. Yeah, upstairs. Yeah. But I was thinking that, you know, it. It is maybe in Westworld, but like one level down, you know, so it's, sorry, not in Westworld um, as like, as in like in the saloon or like in a character building, but like very close to it where she goes up one set of stairs and then like is back in the park. Because the other thing that I noticed is that Bernard is wearing an overcoat when he is, um, when he's, when he's in his meeting with Dolores. He's got his, like, tie and blazer on underneath, but is wearing some kind of overcoat. Hmm. It doesn't look like a Western overcoat. You know, it doesn't look like he's dressed as a cowboy. Um, I don't know. So I'm not convinced that they are far from, you know, like, where Dolores would be living out her loop anyway. But I guess ultimately, like, maybe it doesn't even matter. Well, that she can get back yeah. and forth easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we got a lot of information in in that scene, um, but like a ton of questions too. Obviously, namely, like, what did Arnold do in this park when he was essentially living there and speaking to no one but hosts um, for it sounds like years yes. before he ultimately died. Yeah. Um, so I'm. Sorry. No, no. And just like, and how did he die? You know, that he was very, very yeah. careful, but it was an act. It looked meant to look like an accident. Like, yeah, something, something weird there. Yes. And like, I really think that he, you know, was spending his time in the park creating these levels upon levels. Um, but to what end? Right. Like, who is he intending to solve these levels? Right. Um is it is is he expecting that a guest would essentially, you know, get to the deep depths of the game or I don't know, was it something he hid for himself at some point? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean I I find this part really analogous to that Ready Player One book where that is the point that, you know, you hide these like crazy things deep in the world and there is some sort of reward at the end for those who are able to find it. Obviously the man in black wants it for some kind of reason. Um, but is the prize, the like human sentience thing. And if you're smart enough to be able to do it, then you can continue on with Arnold's work of breeding the next, the future, you know, which is going to be the higher power that we're going to be responding to rather than ourselves be the higher power. I don't know. Right. And so, I mean, like, it's hard to tell at this point, too, but I definitely got the impression based on Ford saying that he really didn't put up much of a fuss when his partner was, like, scrubbed from the records and whatever, that by the end of it, it seems as though Ford and Arnold um, had drifted somewhat in their, you know, philosophies. Um, So... We have Bernard next on a video call with his wife or his ex-wife, um, certainly the mother of his son. Um, and they're talking about how 
you know, they'll never forget their son's death. Um, They do comment, she comments about how hard it is to, you know, get in touch with Bernard, which used to bother her. But now, you know, she's just happy that he has something to like occupy his time. Um, So we see some flashes of um, Bernard's son throughout and they're reminiscing a little bit. And um, she asks whether he ever wishes that he could forget, but he doesn't because, you know, this is all that he has left of his son. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I, I I mean, like, I, I really think that the point of this scene is to kind of set up that last scene with Dolores as well that we've already talked about that, like, you know, um, it we're supposed to recognize that it is um, Bernard's, like, loss that is driving him at least somewhat to have these interactions with her. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, yeah, um, for sure. So a quick scene there. Um, so at this point, it's um, fall and dark and Elsie and Stubbs, they're still looking for um, the woodcutter host that has gone astray. Um, and Elsie kind of like wonders aloud why he would carve Orion um, because he's not programmed to care about stars. Um, and so she steps away, you know, for a minute to relieve herself and hears something behind her. And it's the host who's been, who's stuck in a ravine. And he's like super agitated and his hands are all bloody. I couldn't tell whether that was just because he was trying to get out of the ravine or if he's like kind of like, you know, acting a bit crazy from the start. Um, yeah, I kind of got it was like because he was stuck and could not get out. Like, like, like climb his way out, yeah. Like a Roomba stuck in a corner. <laughs> so, oh no! So was this host being like, "Oh no, I can't get out of this ravine and fulfill my mission that nobody knows what it is." Nobody knows. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Elsie just calls for Stubbs to come over and get this host, and uh, I just feel uh, like this the is nighttime <laughs> host hunting is a poor choice. Uh, I just say that. Come back tomorrow, Elsie. Uh, so Teddy and that crew are still out hunting um, Wyatt. So the woman guest trips over a wire that like seems to be some sort of trap. We hear the dinosaur again. <laughs> so it's close. <laughs> uh, dinosaur elephant. And these like super scary looking guys uh, in masks descend. They stab the sheriff. And... Um, the woman is like absolutely terrified, which I think <laughs> I think I tweeted something like, "Come to Westworld and pay a lot of money and leave with PTSD." Like this just seems like absolutely terrifying as a guest. So you know, even true. If you know it's fake. In the moment, it will not. It's yeah, just seems so over the top. Exactly. I totally agree. Like, that's what I was talking about last time when William, you know, is talking to the host and she's like asking for his medical information. He's like, I thought you couldn't get hurt. I'm like, well, not physically, but like this shit's going to haunt your nightmares. Yeah. And this is what I mean. Like when when why is Ford involved and what is this supposed to prove? I mean, they want to see who they could be. Does this mean he's going to put them through the most intense level of adversity they've ever been through? Um, which is nothing to do with being entertained, which is what Sizemore was trying to do. You know, it's a completely another level of, uh, quote unquote. Like game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
there is another level to this though, right? Unless I read this completely wrong, which was that Teddy was shooting these guys up and there was nothing happening. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. Like they don't fall. So like, yeah, like that, I mean, like, is that like programming that Ford has included in this storyline, which is that essentially these guys cannot be stopped by any host? Yeah, I have. Yeah, is that it? You need a guest to come in or you guess you don't really see if the guest gets anything on. Yeah, I don't know. They're yeah. they are both kind of like shooting into yes, the, the distance. Yeah. And I'm not clear about whether they hit any of them at that point, but after the guest runs, you know, runs back to town and Teddy stays to hold them off, like Teddy shoots all of them point blank and nothing happens. Yep, yeah, no, you're right. And what does he give um, so her? So what does that mean? He gives her something and what? tells her to go. Is it just oh, bullets? I thought he gave her bullets. Yeah, yeah. no, you must be right. It's got, it looks like shells um, or something, yeah. Yeah, like shotgun shells? Yeah. Um, And then, so, like, they circle Teddy, his bullets have no effect, and then, like, they converge on him, yeah. and I think they, like, hack him to bits. Not good for Teddy, for sure. Yes. And also, that would be a challenging rebuild for yeah for for like the chop shop team to yeah, put him exactly. back it's together be a completely for... different robot that they're gonna have to put in or something absolutely yeah impractical um that's right um so Stubbs is going into the ravine to get the stray host um Elsie tries Bernard's phone, but he doesn't pick up. So she leaves him a message essentially saying that she feels like this stray host got an idea in his head that wasn't programmed. And she thinks that he might be like the others, meaning Walter and Peter Abernathy, um, who were displaying symptoms beyond simply, you know, like fragments of memory from yeah. past builds. Um. So we are at the scene that we've referenced a few times already. So Bernard is in another one of these secret meetings with Dolores. And um, this is, you know, I believe very closely following the meeting that he had with Ford. So I, I think what Ford's, Ford's, what's Ford said has shaken him. Yeah. And I really like how they put these together because I agree. He's rattled from what Ford has happened. And then I love that this comes right off of elsie's call and she is trying to call mm-hmm. bernard to say things are about to go down in the park which we of course know they are and he's busy having a secret meeting with dolores that is not going to resolve this problem but almost like exacerbate it um so like yeah. again everybody is completely off their like script here as to what yes. they're supposed to be doing nobody is is putting together all of the clues yeah, right or paying like, attention everybody or... has snippets yeah. and well, and um, especially since the big picture together. Bernard earlier in this episode snarkily told Elsie to go do her job or what's in her actual job description, you know, and that yeah. she calls him at a crucial moment to say that something's wrong right before something really goes wrong. And he's busy having secretive meetings with one of the hosts. So right. do your job description, Bernard. Bernard. Oh, um, 
So he tells Dolores that he needs her help because, you know, now after this conversation with Ford, he needs to decide what to do with her. He thinks that he made a mistake and thinks that she might be better off restored the way she was before, which tells me, right, that Bernard has deliberately changed her in some way. Agreed. Um, so... In what way? We don't know. But like, you're right. Like he has been helping Dolores along. Um, So with the Arnold programming coupled with whatever Bernard has been doing to Dolores and these conversations that he's been having with Dolores, I think is um, resulting in Dolores being even further along down this path to, you know, consciousness than, you know, any of the hosts that we've met. And can I just, so the one other thing that I don't think I mentioned during the recap of the Ford scene is that Ford said the best thing we can do is make sure they forget because they're not real um, and you can erase their memories. And so here Bernard says, you know, I think I made a mistake. The world you live in is a terrible place. Um, And this is where I was just thinking, like, is it that he programmed her to be able to remember and because he wanted to try and have like long-term conversations with her and do these readings with her he recognizes that what ford has said now is that he's causing like this is where i wonder if what he is doing is bumping up against the arnold code and creating like a super host in dolores um that's a Mm -hmm. terrible explanation but you know that so all what if all bernard wanted to do is just kind of let her have a longer um, memory and be able to remember these things and have conversations and it was really so that he could have someone to talk to I mean there's obviously like a fatherly kind of bond there um, but in doing so he's bumping up against what Arnold has kind of left in them and it's creating extreme like it's actually creating consciousness those two things together right I don't know Maybe that doesn't make any sense I mean like I, th- I think that you're probably on to something here, right? Like, I think that the Arnold programming by itself has been in them for 30 years. So that Arnold programming needs to have some kind of catalyst to have them actually begin to right. show the signs of consciousness or whatever, right? So in some cases, we have the reveries as a catalyst, potentially, or we had the photo with Peter Abernathy as a catalyst. Yeah. And, but Dolores has, you know, this human interaction. And that is a far, you know, like, bigger catalyst, I would think, than anything that the other hosts have experienced thus far. And then with Dolores waking up, she then is becoming the catalyst for other hosts like Maeve, where she is waking them up to, you know, the Arnold programming or whatever. So I think you're totally right. Um, Yes. Um, So... So Bernard thinks that maybe she's better off the way that she was before. And she asks if something's wrong with her, but he says no. But as you said, the world she lives in is a terrible place. And then she starts to give the scripted response of like, some people see the bad, but you know, like I choose to see the whatever. And he's like, no, enough improvisation only. Um, So he gets rid of all of her scripted responses um, and just, just has her, you know, come up with her own responses um 
And so he says, imagine there's two versions of you, one who can think and feel and ask questions and then other who is safe, which is safe. What would she rather? And she says, I don't understand. And he like, you can see him become almost defeated. Yeah. Yeah, By this response, um, because she gives the initial response of, I don't understand. And he's like, of course you don't like, you know, this is unsaid, but I can almost see him thinking to himself, because you're a robot, I'm such a fool. Agreed. Um, but, then, but then she goes on to say, you know, there's only me. And when I discover who that is, I'll be free. So the fact that she came up with this response unscripted is obviously a big anomaly. Um, yeah. So he asks analysis what prompted her to say those words. And Dolores, you know, in her analysis mode says, I don't know. And then Bernard talks about how evolution forged sentient life with only one tool. And that was a mistake. It was the mistake that that created sentient life. Um, So it appears Dolores is in good company. So like, ultimately, by saying that, like, he is acknowledging that he believes that she is becoming conscious yeah i agree completely um and then of course he you know decides not to change her back like he wants to see how this plays out he um decides to continue the you know the current course um and then asks her if he ever told her about how he taught charlie to swim and you know he was too scared to let go, but he had to, because that's what a parent does. Um, so I really think that he is viewing himself as, you know, a fatherly figure, as you had said to, to Dolores, um, you know, like in these meetings, I, I think that he is using it as an opportunity to like be a father again. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's crucial that she just had a breakthrough like that to say that, piece about you know looking for who she really is because i think otherwise he probably would have stuck with his guns and agreed erased what he could have and instead it's it's convenient that that has happened at this time whether that's like the programming saving itself or whether that is just really a coincidence i don't know but yeah yeah totally um and so he makes her promise to stay in her loop and then tells her to and and not tell anyone about their meetings and then tells her to get back to the park Um, so she does, we basically continue to like follow her through here and, um, she's in the park, it's nighttime and this time she's actually in the town, the deputy or, um, whoever the guy with the sheriff was comes back and he says he's going to bring reinforcements up into the hills to look for Wyatt. And he says that if there's a merciful God, Teddy and the sheriff are dead already. He, you know, knowing what they ran into. So... Um, she's got that news and then she rides back to the ranch and this is where we've already kind of referenced this, but she makes that scripted comment that he wouldn't let dad wouldn't let the steers wander this close to dark. Um, but of course Teddy isn't with her. This is the piece about that storyline not making as much sense now. And so she hears the gunshots. She rides up the milk bandits are there. We've already discussed a lot of this part, but something that we, um, haven't, I think talked about here is that, um, 
the milk bandit guy whose name is completely escaping me right now. Rebus. Rebus. He says, um, so yeah, so he takes her into the barn um, as if he's going to go rape her. And he says, no one to interrupt us this time. Um, and he references no gunslinger, no whatever, no one to interrupt us this time. Did you like yeah that part i did although i kind of just dismissed that as um yeah i mean you're right i was gonna i was just about to say the words i just dismissed that as you know like normally teddy would like you know kill the milk bandits and um but of course rebus wouldn't know that unless he remembered that this had happened before oh you're so right I feel like that is a, and she, she repeats it. She says this time, like in her scared kind of voice. And then we start getting exactly what we've talked about, which is you see different pieces. You see her old father, because this scenario has happened, we don't even know how many times, but a huge number of times, if this is a a 24 hour loop, which it seems to be right. Um, And so we are seeing a bunch of different uh, kind of scenes of it happening. And then, she finds the gun in the hay, which we have already talked about as well. And this time um, she's got it aimed at Rebus and we hear that same voice, which is the Arnold voice. Mm-hmm. And she's able to pull the trigger. So she's able to go past the programming that has been put in by the most recent Westworld update when we know she couldn't shoot in earlier scenes and shoots him twice goes out um looks down sees her stomach bleeding as if one of the hosts had been able to shoot it but then of course we switch to the next time it's happening she's not bleeding um and this is how i think she's able to get away because she again is going against her programming which seemed to have been to have stood there and taken the shot um like it seems if teddy's not there to save her that she dies in this scenario typically um agreed and she's able to get away yeah um um yeah, so, uh, yeah, lots of questions that came out of this as well. Like, we see um, the the man in black um, flashes um, when Rebus takes her into the barn. And it's the exact same moment, I think, that we're seeing um, that we were shown of the man in black earlier in the episode when she catches her reflection in the mirror and starts to remember there. Um, yes. So although it's pretty clear from the Man in Black's, you know, like, um, interactions with Dolores in episode one, that he has had many, um, you know, many interactions with her over the years, she's remembering this one particular one twice, which makes me feel like whatever was happening in that barn was like, whatever questions he was asking or whatever is important. It's of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, So then we're back with Stubbs and Elsie and he's in the ravine to get the stray host. Um, She, Elsie puts him in sleep mode. Um, I shouldn't actually say that he's in there to get the stray host. He's in there to get the host's head um, and then starts to chop it off. What does he call it at first? The control unit? Right. He says it's so blatant, like, you're not really paying attention. He's like, oh, we just need to get the... Because she says we should wait until the morning. He's like, ah, we just need to get the control unit. Well, that means literally decapitating this thing. Like, chop its head off. I was like, Jesus, subs. Yes. Like, disgusting. Yeah. Um, so he starts to 
you know, take a saw to the host. Um, but when he's down there, it's the host suddenly wakes up and like knocks Stubbs away. And then he scrambles out of the ravine and comes at Elsie. And Elsie is desperately trying to put it back into sleep mode, but it's not working. And then he lifts this enormous rock and it really looks like he's about to bring it down on Elsie's head, but instead smashes it into his own head over and over again. I have written what the actual fuck. Right? Right? Like, <laughs> what? I mean. I was like, nobody did not see that host waking up. I think it was such a yeah obvious, you know, thing to happen. A little disappointed that Elsie just, like, falls over and sits there scared. I was like, you're such a, you seem so self-sufficient. And suddenly you're, like, falling over. But then when he crushes himself, I was like, that part I did not see coming. I did not see that coming. The only thing that makes that, you know, I think makes sense to me at this point is your theory that there is potentially some kind of like self-destruct that, you know, maybe Kissy was trying to do the card dealer when he was trying to throw himself off the cliff and like that this guy might be doing if, you know, there is information that they are trying to withhold from Somewhere. I agree. They they're after him because he's behaving erratically and they just want his head so that they can evaluate it and that's what he smashes with a rock. I think it's you know, this is what I mean. If you could hear what's happening inside his head, I think you might hear that Arnold voice. Um yes. the same way we heard kill him, it would be like smash your head with a rock. Right. Or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yep, so he does. His head is uh, super smashed. <laughs> he is very smashed. Um, uh, it's funny because my husband is not watching the show with me so far. We just haven't had a chance. I'm hoping he'll catch up. But, like, this is the scene he walked in on like, <laughs> as I was rewatching it. I was like, uh, just ignore this. Like, it was the head sawing off and then the smashing the head in with the rock scene. Like, this one scene is not representative of what this whole show has to offer. <laughs> it's not quite this bloody, typically. Um. Uh, so the final scene is William and his douchey friend who is not happy to be there out camping and his friend is bored and they hear something in the distance and his buddy's excited thinking they'll get to shoot somebody. Um, but in this case, it is Dolores. So she's barely able to kind of move. She stumbles over into the campfire and collapses into William's arms. So obviously she's broken her loop and is not keeping the promise to... Bernard here. Oh, it is broken. Um, very. She's nobody's not going to notice that she's like, yeah, gone rogue. Right. I like. Yeah. I this might be a stupid question, but I did have. It did occur to me that I was like, I wonder if her being in this state that she's in is a result of the trauma that she has just experienced and lived through, or if there's some something else that like is wrong with her trauma right i feel like that's it yeah Um, i do too they don't seem to require because at first i was kind of wondering about powering and stuff but those other guys sat around a campfire for two days talking about cooking food right nobody died same as the guy who got stuck in the ravine because at first i was like is there some sort of charging that needs to happen but it doesn't seem like it yeah and i don't know maybe something but i i did i felt like it was the shock of what she's been through 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt yeah. the same, but I, you know, I thought... Yeah, I know what you mean. I thought it was worth asking in case I missed, you know, something. Um, yeah. So, I really think that, like, um, things are escalating quicker than I than I thought they might. Like, I yes. thought that we might be staying with the hosts in their existing loops with, you know, subtle um, changes for the first little bit. Um, but I really feel like in the very near future, we're going to see, you know, a full, a full um, breakthrough for at least Dolores and maybe one or two of the others. Like, you know, obviously our main characters like Dolores and Maeve, I think are well yes. on their way to self-awareness. Um, so I think that we're very close to that being pretty full-fledged. And then maybe the remaining hosts in the park, um, you know, being less less aware and slowly but surely the whole population is kind of like you know being awoken yes although at some point surely security i do feel that you know they are pretty cautious in terms of you know willing being willing to take hosts out of the park and those kinds of things it'd be interesting to see how they handle what dolores has just done for sure for sure and then the the other thing too that i think will be interesting is that so we know that the hosts are programmed to not hurt a living thing and we know that some of them Dolores we know is now able to right um yes so they still don't have guns that will allow them to you know um to kill humans with the exception of maybe Dolores. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not convinced anymore that that gun is one that can kill humans. I actually think that perhaps it is just a regular host gun that, you know, was important only because it allowed her to place it in a place that she would need it. Um, because of her awareness of how the loop was going to go rather than it being like a special gun that lets them kill humans. Right. Um, so anyway, I mean, like, ultimately, you can hurt living things, but you don't have guns. So I think that that, like, opens up, you know, the 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 hosts are going to get, like, in hand-to-hand combat and stuff with the guests, you know? Uh, uh, which could be, yeah, I mean, yeah, that could be incredibly violent, too, if they... It's not that they wouldn't be able to kill them other than their programming. Exactly. So if that's the only limitation, then it's it could go very haywire. Right. So. so, yeah, exactly. So I'm just suggesting that despite the fact that they still don't have guns, it doesn't mean that they yeah, can't hurt it... and kill, you know, the guests. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. Well, we shall see in episode four. One week's what... time. That's right. Um. um for those of you who are Walking Dead fans, we are also going to start podcasting about The Walking Dead, which means the start of our weeks will be incredibly podcast heavy. Oh my God, uh, so busy. We are busy. going to still do, so busy. We are still going to do Westworld on Monday evenings and have the podcast up late um, Monday night Eastern um, time, but uh, we will also be doing Walking Dead podcasts on Tuesdays going forward, so... Be on the lookout for that. I mean, like, I really, I honestly feel that if you are a fan of The Walking Dead, then 
you would also like Westworld and vice versa. Yes. So I wouldn't vice be at all versa, surprised yeah. if, you know, some of our Westworld listeners are Walking Dead fans already. And um, if you are, you know, please, um, please check us out. Uh, Jess and I are longtime fans. And I feel like we have, you know, like some good, uh, some good ideas and discussion every time we talk about The Walking Dead, for sure. Like it's been a long time favorite. So, so check us out. Yeah, you guys. watch this. Absolutely. This week we did a quick preview. Well, not that quick, but a preview of season <laughs> six. <laughs> Nothing we do is that quick. But uh, yes, yeah, so you can check that out to see what you think. And in, until then, we'll be back with uh, Westworld episode four. Coming out. Yes. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Kim. Okay. Bye.